Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the second season of Think India podcast. This is a show for aspiring entrepreneurs, startup founders, and business enthusiasts to discover the latest innovations in education technology and to specifically learn more about the growth of edtech in India and why it might be the next successful market. My name is Piyush Puri, and I lead the strategic investment arm of the Times Group, India's largest media conglomerate called Brand Capital International. Today, we have with us Shiv Gaglani, who's the co-founder and CEO of osmosis.org. Shiv, along with his co-founder, Ryan Haynes, started building Osmosis as medical students at Johns Hopkins. Outside of the classroom, they knew there had to be a better way to learn medicine more effectively, and what began as a tool to help Shiv, Ryan, and their classmates has transformed into Osmosis of today. Osmosis is a comprehensive platform that helps people around the world understand health more thoroughly. Shiv's primary passion is developing innovative and scalable solutions in the fields of healthcare and education. After graduating from Harvard College in 2010 with degrees in engineering and health policy, Shiv began his Doctor of Medicine degree at John Hopkins School of Medicine and earned his MBA from Harvard Business School in 2016. Welcome to the podcast, Shiv, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So Shiv, I've actually had the pleasure to meet you before several times now, and, and two of the many great qualities that I noted by your intelligence and your ambition. So, so I was surprised when I learned that you're a college medical school dropout from a long family line of doctors. So I want to start this conversation by understanding what was your thought process at the time you decided to drop your studies and decided to move your focus completely to osmosis. I mean, you're sitting in your lecture theater, listening to distinguished professors at John Hopkins, you know, with the next batch of students who are likely to become leaders in their field. And you think, you know what, I can do this better. So to sum it up, what were you experiencing or not experiencing from the delivery of medical education that made you think that? And what does one weigh when making such decisions? Thank you. Uh, that is definitely something I've, I've had to uh, explain a number of times over the past few years and, and no more than to my own mother, uh, who <laughs> is not very happy with my decision to take time off from Hopkins Med School and do that. But now she's very happy with how we've been doing. So you know, as you mentioned, my co-founder Ryan and I were medical students at Johns Hopkins. And it's interesting, the first week we started medical school, Hopkins, which has a great reputation as a provider of healthcare, was actually the foundation for how we educate doctors in the US and, and globally. Uh, they were the ones who were cited by the Flexner Report of the early 1900s as the standard for medical education, where you have the, the current system of two years of classroom learning, followed by two years of apprenticeship you know, learning where you go rotate through different wards of the hospital. And actually, the, the term rounding, if you've ever heard that term, comes from Hopkins, where the, the main hospital was literally had a round hall, and you would go around and see patients. So that's where rounding, where rounding comes from. So very storied past. And what I learned was, you know, obviously, we were learning for some incredible clinicians and incredible researchers at Hopkins. However, the lecture attendance when we were in med school was, you know, 10, 20, 30% max of the total class size. And that's because the way that medical students are taught today is still very antiquated. It's very passive. It involves lecture-based learning where you're sitting in a lecture for an hour. And it's not as experiential as one would like where you'd be seeing a patient or doing active learning sessions. And so Ryan and I wanted to solve this problem for ourselves. Uh, we didn't intend for this to be a company. We didn't intend to leave med school but we wanted to basically build a platform that would make learning more engaging, more visually appealing, and more fun, as well as take into account the fact that we could collect data on our learners and then you know, help them continuously 
update that knowledge. So one of our first articles was what can medical education learn from Facebook and Netflix, which we basically borrowed a lot of concepts from uh, those major tech companies and put them into osmosis so that learning medicine was more engaging and, and enjoyable. And one point of clarification, I've been out of med school for seven years, but I'm technically still on leave from Hopkins <laughs> Med School. And I wanted to point that out just because my mother may listen to this podcast and she should know I'm, I haven't dropped out fully yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So to continue, you know, that same kind of thought, how and when did you know that this would work? I mean, if, if you can talk a little bit more about the larger problem that you identified and set out to solve when creating osmosis, and, and you believe that there is a problem that you saw was widespread. If you can talk a little bit more about that and how you, you know, set out to solve that problem. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, learning medicine and healthcare in general is different than learning other forms of education like math or language for three reasons. The first is there's way too much information. It's too vast for any one person to know. And that's why we have so many, not only different specialists, endocrinologists versus neurologists, but also types of providers, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, dentists, et cetera. So the second thing, though, it's dynamic, right? A year ago today, very few of us knew what a coronavirus is. Now, everyone, that's all we talk about. And so the stuff that you learn in med school, five years out of gradu after graduating, 50% of it is out of date. And so that's why continuing medical education is not only a requirement, but also a $3 billion revenue industry in the U.S. alone and growing internationally. Uh, because you, you are expected, once you become a clinician, to update your knowledge as new drugs, new guidelines, and new diseases come out, like COVID. The third is it's high stakes, right? So if you forget how to factor or forget how to conjugate a verb in French, you're going to maybe embarrass yourself or not pass a test. But if you forget to prescribe pulmonary function tests to somebody taking bleomycin, for testicular cancer, you could really hurt that patient's life, you could hurt their family, and you could hurt your career in the process. And so because it's vast, dynamic, and high stakes, we realized that we had an opportunity at Osmosis to build a specialized platform that would make learning medicine more efficient by understanding, say, look, you're a second-year med student at NYU, which is a client of ours. Today, you're learning about sickle cell. When we update that content in six months or six years, you're getting an update saying something you once knew has changed. Right. So trying to keep clinicians up to date and, uh, you know, maybe they learned about us when we were in med school, but then as their practicing provider, they're getting continuing education through osmosis as well. So that's the, the broader reason we decided to build osmosis. We happen to be skating upon several macro trends that were happening in the world anyways. One is the tens of millions of physician and clinician shortages around the world, which COVID has exacerbated. As we all know, there's shortages of nurses and doctors everywhere because of burnout, because there just weren't enough to begin with. And so we knew that, you know, more medical nursing PA schools were getting built every year. Not only that, but existing schools were trying to increase enrollments by increasing class sizes. And so we realized if we could make medicine more efficient to learn, and maybe even skate towards the possibility of an online healthcare program, followed by an apprenticeship model in a hospital or health system, we could get more people to become healthcare providers and professionals, uh, and then also improve the quality of the existing providers and professionals. So that was one of the major macro trends. The other one being obviously online learning, which we've all seen has taken a, a major explosion this year in terms of popularity. Right, right. And Shiv, you spoke about the fact that you know there are physicians, there are students out there who are who make make use of the Osmosis platform. But one thing that I really admire about the Osmosis platform is is right now is the community around it. Osmosis community seems to extend beyond a certain class, university, or even a country, and it's a very global community. 
So how conscious were you of creating this community and how important do you believe this community is in the field of medical education? And what are some of the ways that this community manifests itself? I mean, what are the advantages of this community? And do you think this community has given back to the platform at large? Yeah, definitely. So we actually had a community feel from the beginning. Uh, the, one of the two reasons we called it osmosis was that uh, we realized that we were learning almost as much from our peers as we were from our teachers. Uh, and I think that's that's pretty common. A lot of companies in ed tech like Quizlet are based on this concept of peer-to-peer -peer learning. And so we that's partly we knew that knowledge diffused from peer-to-peer, -peer, which is, again, one reason we called it osmosis. And so some of our initial features at osmosis on the platform were the ability to upload your own notes, to share uh, questions and flashcards. And at this point, we've had over you know, 10 million questions and flashcards crowdsourced by our community. We have students teaching each other. And then that's led to a, a more global footprint, as you mentioned. The two things that drove that were one is user-generated content. But second is we recruited the team that used to run Khan Academy Health and Medicine, led by our chief medical officer, Rishi Desai, who I know you've met and also lives in the Bay Area. And we've developed this massive content library that we realized we started putting it out on YouTube, some of it on YouTube. We were getting comments not only from our core audience of medical students, but also or U.S. med students, but also international med students. We have students from over 190 different countries, but then nurses, PAs, pharmacy, EMT, audiology, all sorts of healthcare careers, as well as most interestingly, patients and their family members, because the content is quite digestible and uh, appealing. It's visually appealing. It's very short. And so because of that, it's led to a global community and really helped us set our vision, which is everyone who cares for someone will learn by osmosis. We chose that very specifically because, you know, whether you're going to be a doctor or you're already a nurse or you're just a parent and you have children who you care for or elderly parents who you have to provide care for because they have hypertension or diabetes, we know that you care for somebody and we want osmosis to be a platform or at least a content library that you can learn from and, and, and benefit from. Right, right. And something you briefly alluded to earlier, Shiv, and I, I want to talk about again, is this whole movement of education towards becoming more digital. I recently had an opportunity to watch your TED Talk, and I encourage all of our listeners here to check it out as well. You pose a very interesting question of, can you get a medical degree online? And while I don't want to spoil the entire talk for our listeners, uh, can you share a little bit about how you came up with that question? I mean, was it your experience at Johns Hopkins again? And if you were to go back to complete your MD degree, would you do it online this time? From, from your personal experience, having attended some of the most prestigious academic institutions in the world, and also having founded an online education tool, do you see these two types of programs fitting together? I mean, do you see them as complementary, or would you see them increasingly becoming more competitive? Yeah, no, I absolutely see them as complementary. I think the basic premise is that there aren't enough healthcare providers in the world. And so for that, you know, could we build enough schools, in-person brick and mortar schools to be able to raise the line, as we say at osmosis and improve healthcare capacity? And really, we can't. I mean, it's just not going to happen. There's not enough funding for it. And we have to figure out ways to train our future healthcare providers more efficiently. And not just healthcare providers, but also patients and, and uh COVID is a very interesting time because we've all heard the term flatten the curve. The reason we're all you know, socially distanced, wearing masks, or many of us are, is because we don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system. And so that's in the context of a pandemic. But really, you know, if, if more people took public health education more seriously and, and they got you know, tested earlier on for different conditions, they quit smoking, they lost weight, 
you know, if they if they were able to translate awareness, education and awareness into behavior change, we wouldn't need that much, many more doctors. We wouldn't need as many nutritionists, right? Because ultimately the patients or the consumers of this knowledge would flatten the curve for the healthcare system. So that's part of the osmosis mission is like, how do we get as many people learning to take care of themselves and others around them so that we can collectively improve healthcare, lower the costs and improve the quality of healthcare you know, to your question, I joke that I'll go back to med school when I can get a degree from osmosis fully. And it is a joke because, I, you know, I'm not saying part of the TEDx talk was the didactic information can absolutely be learned online in a, in a self-paced way. I gave the example of my co-founder, Ryan, who before med school got a PhD in neuroscience on a Marshall scholarship at Cambridge. And he and I were both in the time-based six-week neuroscience course at Hopkins when he could have taught that course. Um, and so, you know, wh why was he stuck six weeks of his life relearning stuff that he knew well enough to teach? It's because our model of education is very much time-based instead of competency-based. It's in-person versus online. And so we believe that so much of what medical nursing PA and other programs do right now could be done virtually and therefore increase the diversity too and of the applicant pool to become healthcare professionals. People can do it online while they're working jobs. And then test into programs, whether it's health systems that offer training spots or, or traditional brick and mortar medical schools like Hopkins to then do the apprenticeship model. Because clearly you don't want to have a surgeon who's never actually cut into someone before treating you, just done it online. We definitely don't advocate for that. We are saying that that surgeon may not have had to take 12 years to train. Maybe they could have taken six years to train. And the first six years could have been done virtually through VR simulations in, in other ways that will make them more efficient. And frankly, those six years could have been done in one and a half years or two years if they're super motivated. Right. So I think it's been four years now since you started Osmosis. So if you can talk a little bit about some of the Osmosis success stories, it'll help our audience to get a sense of scale of change that Osmosis has brought about. And if you can give some specific examples as well as the overall impact that Osmosis had in this field uh, that will really, you know, put things in perspective for our audience today. Absolutely. So, you know, technically we started Osmosis as medical students. That was 2012. But if you look at my LinkedIn, I counted it as 2016 because that's when I went full time on it. You know, I was in medical right. school and business school. And, you know, being able to run a company while a student, like you can definitely make a lot of progress as we did at Osmosis. However, it was only when I went full time on it where we started seeing exponential growth and got a lot of the traction we see today. So as of today, we have 1.9 million YouTube subscribers. We've had over 40 million people, distinct individuals, learn by osmosis in some way. And that could include everything from just watching one video on a condition that they or their family members have to using it all four years of med school or, or three years of nursing school or whatever it may be. So over 40 million people have been reached, 1.9 million YouTube subscribers, over 1.3 million registered users on our platform, and tens of thousands of them have paid for our premium subscription. In addition, we have over 100 university and institutional partners like uh, NYU, Kaiser Permanente, several international schools like Imperial College London and Curtin University. And then we also have in, you know, in India, for example, we have 100,000 registered learners um, that, that we know for sure are in India and probably many more who, who we don't know because of IP ranges and whatnot. Another piece that I'll share that's really exciting for us is that we've branched on well beyond just educating students. Uh, we have over 50 different partnerships with organizations like Fresenius, which does dialysis care, 23andMe, which does genetics education, uh, genetics testing, and the National Organization for Rare Disorders, which represents 
thousands of rare disorder patient advocacy groups that were making videos on all sorts of rare disorders for them and their, you know, people who have them and the doctors that treat them. And so osmosis has really gone well beyond just medical and nursing student education and into general health education for the masses. And that's, that's I think, what I'm most proud of at osmosis. Amazing. And should we understand that for osmosis, one of the priorities is to expand into you know, emerging markets where access to education and specifically STEM education is limited. So would it be fair to assume that India also features on that list and in fact features quite high? You did mention that you already have people who make use of the platform in India. And, and just as an extension to that question, how, how does that osmosis identify its next growth market? Yeah, it's uh, definitely. And India is a very, uh, very exciting market where we already have a, a, a lot of traction organically, right? So we started releasing these videos on YouTube and Wikipedia. And then before we knew it, there were tens of thousands of Indian medical students and, and nursing students learning by osmosis. And they're among the most engaged and excited members of our audience. They'll comment more than, than other audience members. Many of them do, obviously, they want to take the U.S. Emily and maybe get uh, matched in the U.S., but the vast majority of them will stay in India and, and provide care in their home country. I have, obviously, personal connection. Both Rishi and I have personal connections to India. My family's from Sindh, and my dad went to Baroda Medical College. My sister went to MS Ramaya Dental School. And so, you know, I used to go to India once every year or two and, and personally have met with deans and students in India who, who learn by osmosis. And, and my chief medical officer, Rishi, has family in Gujarat and is there every couple of years. Obviously, COVID's put a bosh on some of those travel plans. And so we have a personal connection, but then also just given the, the strength of the educational system in India, as well as the fact that most people in the educational system learn English, which is the, the main language osmosis is in right now, those all kind of are a confluence of factors of why India is such a, a great market for us in terms of engagement. In terms of other places, I mean, definitely the Commonwealth countries, you know, Australia, UK, Canada are areas of a lot of growth. Saudi Arabia and other Middle Eastern countries have a lot of uh, penetration for osmosis. Uh, and then from there, it's kind of long tail. And in some countries like Syria, which is war-torn, or uh, Namibia, which is where I was actually born, we provide free osmosis access just because they're, most people there are not able to, to pay for, for various reasons. And so we have a very strong social mission on osmosis, which is why we're osmosis.org and not osmosis.com. Right, right. And based upon your understanding of the Indian market share, you know, can you draw some comparisons between the markets where you've deployed osmosis in India and whether or not you'd have a similar strategy when you finally set out to launch you know, full scale in India? I know you mentioned you've had some organic traffic from India, but uh, as India creeps up in the list of priority for osmosis, do you think you'd have to make significant changes to the product? How would the strategy change for a market like India, in your opinion? Yeah, so I think, you know, fortunately, we've, we've learned a bit from some of the companies that have been successful in, in going from the US to India or companies that have uh, grown up in India and been extremely successful, obviously, Baiju and Uncademy, which I think recently bought Prep Ladder in the medical education space. You know, we've definitely surveyed a bunch of our Indian medical students. And fortunately, we don't have that much to adapt in terms of the product. The curriculum is taught a bit differently, and there's a bigger emphasis on things like uh, ENT or uh, otolaryngology, as well as infectious disease. And there's certainly some infectious diseases in India that are more common than in the US or in other places. And so to some extent, we have to develop some of that content we already have. Uh, and content development is one of our strong suits. So we can do that very quickly. The major change is the, is the product uh, format and the, and the pricing. 
So we've been testing out, you know, lower prices, accepting Indian rupees on our roadmap at some point is Paytm, integrating with Paytm because not everyone pays by credit card or, or debit cards don't like to pay in, in U.S. dollars. And so there are some of those things that we've changed, um, but not it hasn't been a major focus for us at this point. That being said, uh, you know, we've been very grateful to, to the team at Brand Capital uh, and Times Group because you all have been very helpful in terms of helping us think about how to enter the Indian market, where, where collaborations could be effective. And more, more than in the U.S., I think the prospect of not just B2C or B2B, but B2G, you know, working directly with governments is, is really interesting. And we know some companies like Square Panda that have done a, a good job of that, whereas B2B in India selling directly to institutions doesn't seem to be as, as strong uh, a potential market as it is in the U.S., for example. So there are those kind of idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies that we have to take into account as we're expanding in, into India. And fortunately, again, given that the user base is very engaged and very excited about osmosis in India, we get plenty of feedback from our, our learners there. Right. And, and we at Brand Capital also are very excited about potentially partnering with Osmosis at some point, Shiv, and, and bringing it to, to the Indian consumers as well. So a couple of last questions, Shiv. Any advice you'd like to give aspiring entrepreneurs who tuned into this podcast on the do's and don'ts you know, of, of NetTech startups, some of your learnings from when you entered into this very exciting but also very competitive world of, of startups? Yeah, I think so. I like Amara's law, which is uh, it's a, St- a Stanford researcher who who said people tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate the impact of technology in the long term. Talking about everything from internet to AI, and so for the startup context, I think founders, including myself, tend to overestimate what you can get done in one to three years, and underestimate what you can get done in five to seven years. And that's definitely been the case at Osmosis, where you know you start, you're excited, you think that you can you know change the world, get to millions of people within a year. And there definitely are some companies that do that, obviously, like TikTok or whatnot. But things tend to take longer in the short term. They take longer than you think. But then once you get to a critical mass, and we're feeling like like we are at Osmosis, then a lot of things speed up very quickly. And uh, because you have distribution, because you have brand awareness, because the market's improved, you know, changed, and the wave is broken things have moved faster for us. So I think that's one piece of advice is to stick with it. You should know when to quit, but I think stick with it just to see when when the wave may break and you can surf on it. Another one is focus. I think that's something we're continuously facing an issue with at Osmosis. There's so many opportunities ahead of us. And there's this quote, I think Packer's Law, where you know good companies are less likely to die from starvation of having too few opportunities and more likely to die from indigestion, having taken on too many opportunities. And that's definitely something we found at Osmosis too, where you can spread yourself too thin among different revenue lines or among different markets and not get you know, that one golden goose that then funds the rest of the business. So we've had to be a little more careful about what we invest in and how we focus. And that includes you know, me as a founder when I was in school, trying to build a company while in school. I was spread thin between schoolwork and the company. And it was only when I decided to focus on Osmosis where we started seeing a lot more of the rapid growth that we have have seen over the past few years. So I think those are two major pieces of advice I would share. Some excellent advice there, Shiv. Thanks, thanks. Last question, Shiv. More generally, what direction would you want to see at Tech and specifically STEM education headed over the next few years? And, and how can we and our listeners help you in this amazing cause you're working towards? 
Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited by, there's very few good things that have come out of 2020. But one of the <laughs> good things that has come out of this year is that people have realized that online education is here to stay and is a very good way of achieving you know, more equity. More people who have internet capabilities are able to learn more things than ever before because of great platforms like Coursera and Udemy and Baiju and whatnot. And so I think we've gone past the point of like the laggards, and I think many of them have, ad- have had to adopt ed tech. I think keeping an open mind, understanding that, like actually becoming a consumer of this, of this content, a consumer of these ed tech products, and then contacting them. I mean, some, so many of the, the best advances in osmosis history came from recommendations from our learners. So if you're using a, a, an educational product like osmosis, you know, send a message to the support team and let them know what's working, what isn't working. Share your ideas because you are helping sculpt kind of the future of your own online education. I would recommend, I mean, anybody can contact me at shiv at osmosis.org if you have ideas around education, technology, around medical education and healthcare. It's definitely something I welcome. And it's probably the most fulfilling part of what I do at Osmosis, which is talking directly to our end learners. Great, great. Shiv, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing some amazing insights from your experience. And, And we'd like to wish you the best in your endeavor. And we'd also like to thank you for all the efforts you've made towards a very good cause. It was great having you on the show today, and thank you for your time. Huge thanks. Thanks so much for having me, and thank you to the Brand Capital International team. I'm very impressed, again, with, with everyone I've met there, and, uh, and really appreciate the work that you do to, to bring innovations like Osmosis to the Indian market. Thank you. And we'd also like to thank our audience for tuning in, tuning in for another episode of Think India podcast. If you'd like to hear other episodes of this podcast or learn more about anything we've discussed today, please head to thinkindia.io slash podcast and we'll see you again soon. Have a good one.